1: With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the Business Locker Room.
2: Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, hey, welcome everyone. Great to have you here on Biz Locker Radio, presented as always by the business locker room you're in the business locker room and it's great to have you operating at the intersection of sports and business hey this is the show with compelling conversations useful content that you can use today we're not we're not about me we're about the guests we're about the people we bring on board and have those conversations and always looking for ideas that you can use if you're looking to improve your business performance assure you that you are absolutely in the right place whether you sell a product manage a team lead a company doesn't matter, this show's for you. We have experts in sales and marketing, social media, business strategy, leadership, way, way more than that. And this is episode number 59 59 episodes of Biz Locker Radio. It's customer communications one on one. And we'll be joined after the first break by my friend and a coach here in the business locker room, Stephen Gaffney. And we're going to talk about uh, communicating with customers where things are not going as well as you'd like. Hey, By the way, I'm your host, Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining me. You can find me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs. encourage you to follow me because you get a piece of all of the coaches that are part of the business locker room. I'm always tweeting out their content so you can follow them through me or go find them. Absolutely. You can find this show at bizlockerradio.com. Hey, do like I do, by the way. Download that podcast on iTunes and listen to it in the car. It is absolutely fantastic content. By the way, just talk about some of the things that are coming up. By the way, Miles will join me in just a few moments. He's usually on at the end of the show. We'll be today. We'll talk X's and O's, but I have him jump in here in just a few minutes. But I want to give you a sense of what is coming on Biz Locker Radio. This summer is just scorching in terms of the people that we have on board. Next week, Matt Hines, Hines Marketing. If you you know anything about marketing or if you're online at all, you know that name. Matt has 65,000 followers. Uh, There's a few people out there reading his stuff. You're going to want to tune in. We're going to talk all things marketing, and it it should be just an absolutely phenomenal show. I'm really excited about that one. Excited about the week after that, July the 13th, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Every Monday, we're live right here on BizLocker Radio. Jeb Blunt will join me. We'll talk about... Uh, sales gravy. I mean, this is a guy that's been around for a very long time. He only has 47,000 followers. I may have to give him a little grief about that. Matt Hines, a little bit in front of him, but we're going to talk to him the week after that, the 20th. Scott Edinger he's the author of The Hidden Leader. Also, in that show, a lady by the name of Jen Mueller will join me, and she has a website called Talk Sporty To Me. No. No, don't get carried away. She's a former broadcaster, and uh, she's now a communications expert. We're going to take, talk communications today as well, but she comes at it from the female side and how you can use sports as an introduction to conversations. I, I just, I really cannot wait to to do that. I think it's going to be great fun. Uh, a lot of stuff coming down the road, and you want to be a part of it. It's uh, it's one of those podcasts you need to go and subscribe and uh, put it on your iTunes you know, for for future reference. I guarantee it's good stuff. Miles Austin jumps in the house with me here
3: just for a few minutes. Hey, Miles, how are you, sir? Great to have you. Thank you, bud. I'm enjoying the 90-plus degree weather in Seattle this week. Uh, I don't even want to hear it. It's way hotter than that here. Yeah, and my humidity is way up into the 70s. <laughs> well, so
2: is ours. So I, I feel I'm, I'm coming to Seattle. Folks, I'm going to Seattle after the show. I'm going to spend a couple days out. Uh, with Miles and uh, whomever else I wrote into out there in Seattle. And I'm just bringing my weather with me. They're not even used to this kind of weather. Hey, I wanted to get you on early and talk about a product uh, that we had on the show some time ago. One of those great tools you introduced me to, Easy VSL. Tell me a little bit about Easy VSL. Give me that short version.
3: Short version is it's the fastest way to create a text based video on the market by. Sp- 10 times. If you go create a text space, and by, what I mean by text space, these are called video sales letters or VSLs. But what they're designed to do is put text on the screen, and you've seen them um, popping up a lot. They are proven to increase your conversion rate on a video two to three times. So, obviously, when you have that kind of response, people want to learn how. And you can do all of this, almost all of this, very easily in PowerPoint, but it might take you three to four hours and a lot of frustration. ECVSL lets you type your text into a PowerPoint-like interface, record your audio, sync it together, and hit output. And so what might take four hours in uh, PowerPoint, if you're good at it, might take 10 to 15 minutes in Easy VSL, and certainly you can use it for more than sales letters, isn't that right? Oh yeah, I mean I use it for intros, I use it for uh, webinar background, I use it for introducing different people. Um, I usually intersperse the Easy VSL um, video portion with some live video of me talking or a guest talking, or maybe showing a little bit of a screen in a demo type environment. It's just another way to create very engaging conversion-driving video into your audience screen.
2: Well, I I decided to put it through its paces, finally got around to actually using this. So I I took down one of my very long blog posts off LinkedIn, imported it into EasyVSL, cut it up into chunks. It took me, I don't know, 15 minutes, and this is a long blog post. And immediately, I've got all of these slides and everything's ready to go. I can import pictures. I can put audio on top of it, and suddenly I've got a nice, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven-minute YouTube video that that
3: covers one of those topics that I care about. Uh, Is that a good use of the product? It's fantastic use, and I think it's an example of what people usually do. They'll go in with this video sales letter kind of mentality because that's the name of the product, but as you've done, when you see the power and the ease and the speed of taking a document like a Word document, importing it in, and boom, your slides are done. I mean, you can't do that on anything else. And so, yes, you're using it in a very creative, innovative way.
2: Yeah, a lot different. I just thought I would give it a run to see what it was like. I mean, people like me may or may not use sales letters, video sales letters much, but they do want to have their stuff out in YouTube for people to enjoy or to read or to digest in some fashion. I found this is to be a really easy way. So I'm excited and, and uh, you tell me there's a lot of things happening behind
3: the scenes at EasyVSL as well. Absolutely. They've got lots of new capabilities. They're always adding things like new fonts, new transitions. They're working with some background capability. One of the things that I, I'm really intrigued with, and I don't know how far along this is, but if you can picture a video playing on your screen with in, in real actual you know movement and everything, a real video playing with the text appearing on top of it, superimposed, On top of that moving video, Um, that's pretty funky uh, technology, but um, I've seen a rough first pass at it, and it blew my mind. I thought, wow, that is eye-catching. That is CNN-like in its capability. It looks like broadcast TV capability. Yeah, I'm excited about it.
2: Well, I just wanted to do a catch-up on Easy VSL if you've been paying attention. Maybe you missed that particular product. You absolutely have to go find it. And, uh,
3: Miles, before I cut you loose, uh, tell me where we find Easy VSL. Best way to find it is go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash V-S-L easy. E-A-S-Y. All right. Very good. Well, Miles will be back with us at the end of the show,
2: and we're going to talk about a brand new tool. We'll have you back. Miles, thanks for joining us. And in just a few moments after our first break, my good friend Stephen Gaffney will join us. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening here on um, in the business locker room. Stephen Gaffney is one of a number of people who have uh, volunteered or agreed to be a part of the business locker room as quote unquote coaches of course going with the sports motif but some of the some of the real experts in the world of business as a part of the business locker room coaching staff people like Stephen Gaffney he is um, he, he's recognized as one of the authorities in workplace communication. Jeff Shore is one of those guys. he is a, a, a guy who's got a lot of chops in the sales world. Marissa Levin is the founder and CEO of Successful Culture. We've had her on a number of times. John Spence, top 100 thought leader. I love having him on. He was on with us uh, a week or two ago. Randy Conley just published his blog post today, and you can find it at bizlockerroom.com. Absolutely fantastic post. Hey, he's a vice president of client services and the trust practice leader for the Ken Blanchard Companies, top 100 thought leader. Jack Malcolm. Who is uh, very big in sales and has written a couple of great books on sales presentations? Josh Miles is our Josh Miles, rather, is our marketing and branding expert, and he's got a fabulous series going right now on in the business locker room. So, really want to encourage you to jump on, look at the business locker room, and look at what these coaches are doing. These guys are spectacular, indeed. Quite an honor to have them on board with us, and uh, we're going to talk communications, customer communications. One hundred and one. Also, might talk to uh, Stephen about about hiring people. I I, I was reading an Inc. magazine, the most recent issue, about um, about hiring people. How to build a killer team. Six experts reveal the secrets to hiring winners. You know, we've had that conversation a number of times here on BizLocker Radio about hiring people. I know know Mark Roberge and I engaged in a big discussion about how you get the right people, how you hire the right people, and uh, I was looking at this article, The Fine Art of People, Hiring, Leading Employees, and Creating a Great Company Culture. Of course, it's all about communication when you talk about companies and culture, and Stephen Gaffney, one of the premier experts in that realm, but he says uh, that it starts off, in this article eric ryan vividly recalls the origin of his rigorous hiring philosophy it was 2005 and his sustainable cleaning products products business called method was growing fast and he says quote i heard someone say we just need a warm body uh scared the crap out of it yeah mean that's uh, sadly my experience the vast majority of companies that are out there and even some very very big companies are very reactive by nature in their hiring processes they they decide or figure out real quick that they need someone because someone left or they promoted someone or something and suddenly they need someone and all hands on deck let's get uh, some resumes in here and let's go through this process because we need a warm body to fill this spot well it's 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 a sad commentary i think because so much of culture is determined by the capacity of the people that work for us in our companies And we don't have a methodology for finding those people, nor are we really addressing the areas of communication the way we should. Well, on the other side of the break, we'll bring in one of the big guns with regards to workplace communication. He's Stephen Gaffney. So we'll come back on the other side. Hey, thanks for joining us. And stay with us because I think there's going to be some really good stuff. If you're in sales, really, really good stuff, a methodology that Stephen's going to share with us as uh, we come back from the break. We'll do that. We'll come right back. This is Biz Locker Radio on Voice America. I'm Kelly Riggs.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
2: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to a $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
1: the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
2: This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. Yes, one of the really unique individuals out there, and the very first guest I ever had. On BizLucker radio it was a fantastic interview dan walshmit waldo you want to check him out it is uh, just absolutely a, a phenomenal individual very very unique cat loved having him on he's got a great book out as well well we turn our attention to my friend stephen gaffney and we're going to talk about communications but let me tell you a little bit about him he is one of the leading experts on honesty and communication in the workplace he's uh, Authored five books. His most recent is "Be a Change Champion: Ten Factors for Sustaining the Boom and Avoiding the Bust of Change." He's a certified speaking professional, and he has—he's uh, been around. He's also a, a former adjunct uh, faculty member of Johns Hopkins, which uh, certainly says a lot. And uh, he's a former board member of the D.C. chapter of the Sales and Marketing Executives International. And I'm just honored to have him here on the show. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. It's great. How are things going with you? Great. With a new book out, Be a Change
4: Champion, we're doing a lot of work on change, especially because that seems to be the state of business. And I don't think that's ever going to end because change is really a necessity to growing in life.
2: It really is. And I mean, when you're you're talking about how complex and how quickly business changes, Stephen, clearly change management is always an issue, but it, it oftentimes is a function of the number of people involved, is it not?
4: It is, but I think the biggest problem that most organizations make, and whether they're creating a massive change or a small change, is they don't think about keeping up the momentum of the change. So they launch a change, there's a lot of excitement, but then what's predictable is there's going to be problems. And they don't manage the problems well, and then people lose momentum, and that's why 70% of organizational changes fail to achieve the original objective. The good news is I found out there's 10 key factors to actually keeping up the momentum of any change that whether it's a big change or a small change
2: well I, I clearly I see exactly what you're talking about oftentimes inside of organizations we can get started well but the fact of the matter is Stephen is that the vast majority of people don't handle change well I, I don't know that they don't like change it just tends to be an upset in their momentum and that creates a little resistance to the process
4: Yes, there is resistance to change, but you know, people tend to uh, blame change. We've talked about this before. Change is a bad name. (laughs) People blame Mm -hmm. change, but you know, it's so ridiculous when people say, I don't like change, really? Well then why do people get married, have kids? you know, get promoted, um, move locations, people actually sometimes request a major change in their life or go after a major change that they seek, and so if we really didn't like change we wouldn't go after any of these types of things or try to achieve any of those types of things. So the reality is people like change as long as it's a good change that benefits them. So one of the things I always look at with organizations and when I'm coaching somebody is when they're getting a lot of resistance, probably the other person doesn't see the advantage of the change, or they did see the advantage and now they don't believe in the change and they've lost trust, or the third element is they've lost the momentum of the change.
2: Boy, that is just a fantastic point. By the way, my guest, Stephen Gaffney, joining me here on Biz Locker Radio. You can find us there at bizlockerradio.com. But you make a fantastic point, it's a great segue to the sales side. Because as I like to say, many, many times people don't change products or vendors or services simply because the hassle of the change is not outweighed by the value or the benefit that they would receive. And many times, that's the salesperson's fault, isn't it?
4: Yes, because they don't appropriately deal with that situation and they don't overcome the uh, existing inertia that's actually happening, right? People tend to go to the same old people because it's somewhat safe. I mean, look at how many people are in a miserable marriage and they don't get out of the marriage. Now, I'm not advocating divorce, but it is interesting how people stay in relationships, even have friendships, that when they look at it, it doesn't really serve them anymore, but they're afraid to at least make a change or, and have the conversation. Now, I'm not saying, again, advocating people have to produce that major change in their life,
1: but why don't we at least
4: address the issues? Because the biggest problem I found out is not what people say. It's actually what they don't say to each other. But if you get that unsaid said, a lot of issues can get resolved, which is why, why a lot of the work we do saves employees, saves marriages, turns around relationships with their kids because they get that unsaid said.
2: Yeah, I love that, Stephen. We've talked about that before. That whole concept of getting the unsaid said. You're the first person I've ever talked to that, that made that a point of, of emphasis because everybody knows there's the, you know, the things, there's the elephant in the room or the things we're not talking about. I guess sometimes the unsaid is things that are absolutely hidden as well. But man, that comes into play in a very big way for sales professionals.
4: Yes, and even with relationships internally with a company, and, of course, as you're talking about with sales externally, the key is you've got to get somebody to tell the truth because you can't fix a problem they don't tell you about, and you can't use an idea that they don't share. So you've got to get that unsaid said, and so often somebody will ask me, in fact, it just happened a day where somebody was asking me about a situation, and the person had historically not told them the truth, and then they started to share the truth, which was not really um, positive news, and he said (laughs) to me, what do you think? And I said, well, here's a rule of thumb. If somebody has predictably not told you the truth, and then they start telling you the truth, don't assume that that's all there is. Assume there's way more to the story. In fact, one of the assumptions that empower us in our life is to assume that whatever somebody tells us there's more to the story and this is critical so that when somebody tells us the truth we don't negatively react which shuts off the valve of feedback instead what we need to do is continue to probe and not get rattled or thrown off by what they initially tell us so whatever we have to assume that there's more to that story and that's critical to moving forward in relationships
2: talking with Stephen gaffney you can find him online by the way stephengaffney.com. And find him at Twitter and follow him at Stephen underscore Gaffney. That last name is G-A-F-F-N-E-Y. Find him at uh, BizLoggerradio.com. You can see the page. And by the way, the podcast will be available here tomorrow on that page or as I talked about at the top of the show, go download it on iTunes. Well, Stephen, I'm, I'm I'm a new sales guy. And it's been drilled into my head that you really have to communicate with customers in the sense that you've got to find out what motivates them. you got to open up those channels of communication, get people to talk to you. Hey, you know what? That sounds great. It's a little harder than than I thought it was. So what kind of tips do you have for us? Well, I think there's two
4: critical things we need to do. One is we need to make people feel safe. And second, we need to build trust. So the way to build safety is actually to show that we're willing to hear what they have to say. So asking all the good questions is critical. But the other is building credibility, having them trust us. And one of the key things I found out is actually if you share nuggets that shows your value. So what typically somebody will do is state the value of the company and all the assets and great things about the company and the other person's hearing blah, 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 blah. But if we probe and then capitalize on what they're sharing and show them that we know what they're talking about. So for example, in my world, when somebody says, you know, so we're having a problem with this change and it just seems like there's resistance. That's when I'll often share and say, well, yes, resistance is often occurring with change, but we have to look at what's really going on. And one of the things I found out is people tend to blame change and you know, along the lines of what I was talking about before. Sure. So what we need to do is be prepared to drop nuggets that show our credibility rather than tout all the companies we you've worked with and years of experience because that typically, people are thinking yeah, and so what, but if you can show them that you know what you're talking about without dominating the conversation by just nuggets and then turning that back into another question, that can really help, which deals with another strategy for people to remember, and that is with this, and I found this out the hard way, because I used to, you know, be in a conversation in sales and thought that it was all about talking, but I really realized it's all about hearing. And so one of the things that we can do is probe from a position that there's much more to that story and really ask ourselves what else is going on and to remember the following. Whoever asks the questions controls the conversation. So if somebody brings up something and we drop in a nugget and say, you know, that's a good point because it reminds me of this, this, and this let me ask you, and then you go into the next question. So you're dropping in a nugget, but you keep asking them questions because that's critical to showing them that you know what what you are talking about, and we're very interested in what they have to say because as Larry King once said, he never learned anything when he was talking. So we really learn by listening.
2: Let me ask you your opinion, Stephen. I've, I've trained salespeople now for a very, very long time, two and a half decades at least, and it, it just doesn't seem to matter how often you tell someone that you should not go into a sales presentation or a sales interview, or a sales call, wherever you are in that process. And you should not show up and dominate that conversation. And no matter how many times you tell them and how much you emphasize that preparation phase and having even having those questions prepared, people tend to check down to talking when they get nervous. Why do you think that is? It's because they're thinking
4: that the key is they really do need to tell the person and show them the value rather than really getting about the question. So they get it conceptually, but they don't often really get the value of that. So one of the things that we can do is actually write down the questions we want to ask that person and be prepared. I have found a lot of salespeople who are dominating a conversation, the truth is they're not really prepared to have the conversation. They haven't asked themselves, what questions would I like to know from this person? You know what they're really missing though, Kelly? A lot of times they're not really interested in what the customer has to say. See, I I love talking to customers because I have learn, and potential customers, because I've learned so much from them. I've talked to admirals and generals and CEOs, and as much as I've shared with them and helped them, I've learned a tremendous amount from them. So I love talking to people because you love learning. You lo- if you love learning, then you're going to love asking, and that's so critical to moving forward. We have to be comfortable with asking questions and really ask ourselves, are we really curious to find out what the other person's point of view is? Because I've got to tell you, Kelly, I'm bored with my own thoughts.
0: Well, that's kind of the idea.
4: I'm thinking. I want to learn what somebody else is thinking, so I can grow in my life.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the idea behind this show. I mean, I don't think people want to hear what I have to say. They very much want to hear what you have to say. So here on this show, we're not bored with your thoughts at all. He's Stephen Gaffney. Find him at stephengaffney.com. Stephen underscore Gaffney on Twitter. You know, before we uh, take our second time out, I want to ask you a, a a little bit more about that process. I think you nailed it. I think people give lip service to preparation, and they really don't think through very carefully, Stephen, about those questions. And, and, you know, it kind of harkens back to something that I remember uh, Zig Ziglar said is, is that the S personality in the disc profile, the, the sort of reserved personality that that is tied into people who really enjoys that one-on-one chat. He always said they made the best salespeople long-term because they built bigger relationships. I get the sense it's because they were willing to ask questions and listen to the customer.
4: Because yeah, they wanted to, we want to find out the answers. I mean, I, I can't stress to you enough how when I'm on a sales call, if I'm thinking about what I have to say, it's not going well. But if I think about what are the questions I want to ask and what do I really want to uh, get to know about this person, and I'm almost playing detective, not from a manipulative way, but from a curious way, it changes the whole uh, tone and tenor of the conversation. So if we're dominating a conversation and we're just drilling them with facts and, and status points and sharing our point of view, we have to ask ourselves Are we really curious about what the other person has to say? When was the last time we learned from our customer? Again, I got to tell you, some of the best ideas I've ever come up with from my seminars to my coaching points to points even in the book came from my customers. I taught them something, and they they, then they taught me how they used it in a way I never even thought of. And so we learn so much from other people. So it's really a question is, are we willing to learn, and do we
2: want to learn? That's yeah, great stuff. Hey, I hope you're taking notes. I hope you're listening carefully because the real secret to highly successful salespeople is that they're better communication better better communicators than we are. I mean, they, they just have a way about them in building that safety that Stephen's talking about and creating that trust so that they will share critical pieces of information. We're going to take our break. We'll come back on the other side and we're going to unwrap and unpack the really interesting things that you need to do the critical things you need to do when it goes terribly terribly wrong with a customer if you're in sales it's happened we're going to find out how to fix it when we come back this is biz locker radio I'm Kelly Riggs the business
1: community's first choice in internet talk radio voice America business network
0: Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
2: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the Chief Revenue Officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
1: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Hi, this is Jeff Shore, author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. More great business ideas straight ahead in the business locker room. Hey, welcome back to BizLocker Radio. If you spend very much time listening, you'll pick up on the fact that I'm a big fan of the blues. Love that kind of music. And uh, special thanks to Jeff Shore, by the way, for bringing us back after the break. Hey, uh, uh, you always want to recognize the people that make you Sound a lot better than you really are. Our engineer every week is Michael Surgit. Special thanks to him for all the work he does behind the scenes. We never actually see each other. I wouldn't know him if I met him in the hallway, but he takes really great care of us while we're doing the live show, and I appreciate all the help that we have. We are in a conversation with Stephen Gaffney, StephenGaffney.com. And uh, before the break, I kind of teased the fact that we're going to talk about. Uh, the, when things just go wrong, Stephen, and it happens, you know, you, you've you got this great relationship. You're just getting started with this customer. They finally have ordered a product, and we miss a delivery date, or we ship the wrong thing, or something just goes awry. Those kind of things happen all the time, and there's good ways and there's bad ways of handling those kinds of things. Talk to me about the good ways. What, how do you approach When you've got a customer that's upset and you really do need to communicate effectively.
4: Well, there's many, many strategies, but there's three critical things we need to do. And the first step is we need to apologize and take full responsibility. Now, not I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's not a good line. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, you know, the key is to say I'm sorry we messed up. You know, I saw some research that um, in the medical profession, that doctors who admit that they've made mistakes are less likely to be sued than doctors who won't. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't advocate what is the right thing to do in the medical profession as well as in other professions from a legal standpoint. But from a relationship and a human standpoint, apologies go a long way. Just think how often. We've held on to something in our life because the other person just wouldn't apologize. But when they do, we are incredibly forgiving. So here's the interesting thing. People are incredibly forgiving when the other person apologizes, but incredibly unforgiving when they won't. So the first step is to apologize and take full responsibility.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's such a great point. I don't know why it is that oftentimes we feel that it makes us look bad or weak or whatever when we do apologize. And it's not just the apology. It is it is very much the way in which you deliver that apology. A great example is a, a client that I have, a friend of mine that I work with here locally, was telling me this very story. He was uh, at an air show in Paris. Uh, aerospace people were there, and he's an aerospace supplier, and had a gentleman that uh, said, hey, you, you're killing us. I mean, you, when are you going to straighten this all up? And he said, you know, you could just tell. He was he was ready. He wanted to go guns with me right now. And I just looked at him and said, you know, or he's talking for him now. This is my client. He said, you know, I, I suspect that you expect me to uh, to give you a bunch of excuses and to blame some other people. And the fact of the matter is, none of that's true. This is, uh, I'm the president of the company. And if the company's performing poorly, that means I have failed somewhere in leadership. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I, I'm going to address the problem. We're going to fix it to your satisfaction. And he said, the whole tenor of the whole conversation changed.
4: Isn't it amazing? Apologies go a long way. <laughs> but now, hey. here's the tricky part. If, what if another part of the company messed up, we don't want to say, well, we did the right thing, but
2: they messed up.
4: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't me.
2: What are those idiots in shipping thinking,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, so that's a
2: bad deal, but tell me why. Why is it bad to throw someone underneath the bus in the company? I mean, clearly, if I'm the sales guy, I'm trying to maintain that relationship. I want to be the good guy. Why wouldn't it be okay to blame the people that actually made the mistake?
4: Well, I'm not saying that we lie, but I am saying that we don't ever throw anybody else under the bus in the company. And the best way to respond is, I'm sorry, we messed up. If they say, well, who messed up? Well, there's a lot of people involved, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, on behalf of the company, I apologize, and we take full responsibility. And then we need to move into step two and explain what's going to be different and lay out a plan to show them to build trust to our customer, that actually they can rest assured that this is never, ever going to happen again. So here's what we've learned, and here's what we're going to do to fix the situation. Now, this sounds simple, but a lot of times people use platitudes, like, we'll do better, we'll work harder, we're smarter. Well, what are we saying, that we were stupid before, we weren't working hard, we're a bunch of lazy (laughs) people? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. We have to lay out and show them we get what they're com- where they're coming from and here's what we're going to do that's going to be different and be very specific with what we're going to do to be different. That's really important.
2: Yeah, that's a great, great idea. I mean, you've got you to lay out that plan and the details of that plan. So what's the third step?
4: The third step is we
2: need to follow up with that person
4: and make sure that we fix the problem, that they feel rest assured that they can trust us, that this is not going to happen again. And if for some reason there is a problem, we need to address that and go back to step number one and apologize. But if we, are, if we see ourselves and the company as we making constant mistakes and we're apologizing, we can't start to rely on only apologies. Because after a while, and we've all met people who make mistakes and they apologize, and after a while, we just don't believe them. So what's really missing often is step number two with what's gonna be different. And if they do that, they forget to follow up. So it's critical to follow up and make sure that we addressed what happened And we have actually fixed the situation. Often we think we've fixed the situation when we have not fixed the situation. But the good news, if we ask and we follow up, then we can do the right things and be able to move forward.
2: Let me ask you about uh, the idea, and it just occurs to me. If if I'm dealing with a customer, does it make sense, Stephen, to ask them how they would view fixing the problem? How would they consider it fixed? Or what, what would circumstances look like if we had fixed it to their satisfaction? Is that a good idea?
4: That's good, especially when we're apologizing to ask some follow-up questions. And that actually leads to an issue that overall is sometimes missing. We don't really even understand what they're upset about. Right. Apologies only work if we already know what they're upset about. But you bring up an excellent point where we can't just assume we know. So let's say somebody says, I'm really upset with your company. They have not delivered on what they said oh, I'm sorry, we, and then we assume they know what they're talking about. What we need to do is make sure we probe and fully get where they're, going, where they're coming from. And we can go through that. There are really four steps you want to do when you're trying to overcome an objection. So we covered three things that we want to do when there's a problem, but day in and day out when we hear objections and issues, there are really four steps we need to take. And the very first step is to really probe and probe with the assumption that there's more to the story. Because often, again, this deals with something we talked about earlier, we think that what they're initially saying is the real problem when it is not the real problem. So we need to mm-hmm. probe in such a way as we fully grasp what's going on from their perspective.
2: Yeah, I, and that's one of the difficult things because clearly in times of contention, many times there's an absence of trust anyway. And it's really hard for people to open up when, when there is that absence of trust. So that, that probing has really got to have that that sense of sincerity and honest inquiry it it cannot be an interrogation i would think
4: Absolutely. And one of the ways to not have it come across as an interrogation is to remember that tone is five times the impact of the words we say. So it usually isn't the questions we're asking. It's the way we're delivering it. For example, if I were to say, well, why do you think that's a problem? Or what do you expect us to do? Or, um, well, what can we do to help you? But I'm really conveying through the tone that I don't care. Even if I do care, I'm just trying to get this thing handled as quickly as possible and get you off the phone. That's not going to help. But if we use the tone and assume good intent and come at it from a position as, gosh, I'm sorry, we've obviously messed up. Can you tell me what happened and what's going on? And when they vent, not cut them off, especially if they say something factually wrong, don't cut them off listen and probe because what we'll often find out is even though they might have factually got something wrong, their point is well taken and we need to really look at what's going on behind the scenes. So if we use the right tone and we come at it from curiosity and really wanting to help them and that we care deeply about them, that gets conveyed and then they won't Think we're a prosecuting attorney? No offense to any prosecuting attorneys out there.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you, you're stepping all over my toes. I made I made reference to uh, S personalities in the DISC uh, profile, behavioral profile system. I'm a D personality, and of course, the the knock on a D personality is uh, we don't listen very well. And we always think we're right, and we tend to interrupt people left and right. So uh, it it, take, it takes a lot of I would say practice and I think a lot of intent if you're that kind of personality to be able to do the kinds of things that you're talking about.
4: Well, and I think one thing we can do is if we probe to remember step number two in this process of four steps is to align. So if we probe in such a degree that we actually get where they're coming from and we really understand their perspective, then we're ready for step number two, which step number two is to align and show them that we really get where they're coming from. And one of the that we actually got where they're coming from, that we probed enough, is if we can restate their position with the same type of emotion that where they say, you know what, you get it. That's exactly how I'm feeling. So if you say, so what I understand is we missed the shipment here and then we didn't even follow up and what we sent wasn't even the right thing, I can understand how upsetting this would be and how actually that might cause many issues internally within your company and I'm sorry about that. And if we've really probed enough they and aligned enough, then they will say generally, yes, that's exactly what's going on. And then we've accomplished step number two, and then we're ready for step number three, which is to respond, which we can get into. But the biggest problem that most people do is they probe just a little bit, and then they start getting defensive or responding, and they shut off again that valve of feedback, and they never align with the other person.
2: Boy, what a good point. Uh, if Most of us jump directly to number three. We respond because we assume we know what the problem is. We assume they know how they, we know how they feel and we assume that we already have the answer. I mean, that, that's typically what transpires as a thought process because we want, we want to handle it immediately. You know, we don't want it to get out of hand. So instead of going through one and two, we just vault right into number three. I suspect that gets us in trouble.
4: Yes, and we really miss the point. We really miss where they're coming from. And here's the thing. Even if we probe enough, but we don't show them step number two in a line, they're thinking, you know what? You don't get me. You don't understand. And if you look at two people in an argument and you pull – or if you you watch two people have an argument, you pull them aside and you ask them what's going on, they'll both typically complain that the other person isn't listening. They don't get them. Unfortunately, what both people try to do is transmit when they should be um, receiving more. And so what the answer is that we need to ask really good questions, so probe and line, and then respond. And then, and because they're now they're ready to hear what we have to say, but it's now just not launching our defense or explanation. We need to respond with what's in it for them. A lot of times somebody will say what's in it for themselves and they're thinking that's helpful. But it really isn't, of course. So, for example, an b- improper way to respond would be to say, listen, I understand what you're saying, but I've got to tell you, we've just had a lot of reorganization here. We've had a lot of challenges and cutbacks, so I'm sorry. Well, you know what the other person is thinking? Who cares? That's yeah, I don't really problem. care. That's your That's problem. Right. <laughs> Stephen <laughs> well, 66. Yes. Kelly, here's my favorite line when somebody says, you know, if we did this for you, we'd have to do this for everybody. My response to that is, who cares? I'm talking about what I need related to this issue. So anyway, I'm back to the response. Sometimes people are responding in such a silly way as they're causing more problems in their life rather than resolving the conflicts in their life.
2: Wow. Absolutely right. How many times have I heard this? If we did that for you, we'd have to do it for everybody. Well, just about a time, about 20 seconds. What's step number four?
4: And that is to ask. We have to then circle back and say, did I answer the issue? Is this resolved? And sometimes we're afraid because we're afraid the person is going to say no. But you know what? If they say no, then you go back to the first step because obviously we didn't probe enough. But what I found out is if we do those four steps, we can really resolve all kinds of issues in our life. And this is the way we, how we can have great relationships at work and even at home.
2: You've been listening to Stephen Gaffney here on BizLocker Radio episode number 59 customer communications one-on-one lot of content packed into that conversation you want to make sure you find Stephen by his book be a change champion 10 factors for sustaining the boom and avoiding the bust of change Stephen can't thank you enough thanks for joining us thanks for having me Man, that's great stuff. We're going to come back after our final timeout. We'll be joined by my friend Miles Austin. We'll do X's and O's. We'll draw it up. We're going to bring you another new productivity tool. Make sure you stay with me. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is Biz Locker Radio on Voice America.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
0: Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
2: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now, in his brand-new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales In only seven years, the Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
4: Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and
2: you're listening to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Yeah, and he is some kind of fantastic interview as well. Had him on, uh, pretty sure it was last week. (laughs) It runs together after a while. John Spence, fantastic guy. One of the guys uh, that is part of the coaching staff here in The Business Locker Room wrote a fantastic book called Awesomely Simple. My good friend Miles Austin from the Pacific Northwest jumps in on the x's and o's segment as he always does and we're going to talk about a brand new productivity tool miles how are you
3: i'm doing great man glad to be involved hey thanks for joining me at
2: the top to talk about easy vsl i'm pretty stoked about that thing but yeah many times i ask you about uh, what uh, what tool are we going to talk about this week and you come up with some things and i just kind of shake my head and then you usually wind up making me look stupid later but uh, this week uh, we're going to talk about tweet chat Tweet chat. Now, most people may have heard of that; They may have some sense of it. But what, what is tweet chat for? What, what, what do we do with it?
3: Well, and maybe the, the best way to look at this is that if you're on Twitter at all, um, you might have heard of or even participated in um, an activity called Twitter chats. Okay. And Twitter chats are, in fact, I know you participated, participated in one uh, just recently with the team yeah. over at Kite Desk, right? Yeah, I sure did. So what was your, I mean, tell me what was, what was your experience? What did you do? Uh, what did you think of, of, of using that Twitter chat format anyway?
2: Well, it, it was really interesting uh, because it becomes a free-for-all. We had a number of people involved, and there was a moderator, uh, uh, Shane Gibson. He did a fantastic job. But he throws out questions, and, and then we respond to them, and suddenly you've got this huge dialogue going all at one time. And I, I found it both
3: fascinating and unnerving, you know, to try to keep up. It is, and I, you know what's really funny is, and that's what the purpose of today's tool is: tweet chat, uh, all one word. Uh, which what you have to do in order to follow along in one of these online Twitter chats or conversations is you have to have the hashtag for the event. So maybe it's biz locker room. Let's say would be a and everyone that's responding and, and participating in the conversation has to use that hashtag at the end. So the biggest, for me, the biggest capability of TweetChat is when you log into it, you'll put in the hashtag. So using this example of Radio, you'll put that in and then you don't have to add it anymore because one of the biggest frustrations is you have this really, you're really excited about a comment or um, some guidance you want to give about the topic that's being discussed and you type it all in, you hit send and you forgot to add the hashtag. Or Uh. you didn't have any room at the end. So what TweetChat does, it automatically adds the appropriate hashtag that you've selected at the end of your tweets. And it shows you a counter for how many characters you have available as you type in your message. So that alone is a very, very helpful piece. So you're not worried about forgetting it. And it puts the entire stream on your screen of only the tweets that have that hashtag in them. So you really what you're doing, it turns all of that completely craziness in Twitter into one flow and one big column that fills your screen of, of maybe a moderator. You said like Shane, maybe ask the question, uh, what's the best way to prospect? So, question one or Q1, what's the best way to prospect? So, what you respond to as a participant, then, or as, a, as a, someone involved, is you then respond A1 or answer one, and then you type in your response. Tweet chat then automatically always remembers to add the hashtag at the end. So, people that are just watching the Twitter stream can look at it, they can see the question, they can see Kelly's and Miles and and Stevens and, and Shane's and everyone answers in sequence. And then Shane goes to question number two. What do you think about cold calling? Right. So then everyone responds with A2. I think cold calling's great, or I think cold calling isn't great, or whatever the response might be. But it's a way to have kind of a water cooler. I look at it as kind of the the newest generation of going to a networking event for the Chamber of Commerce in the old days. Lots of things going on, but when a speaker stands up front and says, tonight we're going to talk about this topic, all of the focus goes to that topic and the questions and the responses and the feedback from everyone on that topic.
2: Well, clearly I was not using Tweet Chat, and I was scrambling trying to keep up with everything and uh, probably forgot the hashtag a few times. Well, let me ask you as someone who is not involved in a, in a Twitter chat. I mean, is there any value in this if I'm not involved?
3: If you're not involved, well, it depends. It, it impacts people in two ways. If you're the participant, you got to be prepared, right? And, and just as a kind of a hint, um, I do these uh, maybe once a month or so, and I've done some for years or even moderated some of these over the years that are pretty large. You might get 500 or 1,000 people on them, and those really get to be a circus. But um, one of the things that I think is really helpful is from the host of the chat is to populate or send out to all of the, quote, invited panelists in advance the questions that he or she is going to ask. So you already know what Q1, Q2, Q3 are. And I literally go in. And create my standard answers to all of those questions in advance, measuring the right length so I know how long I've got a lot of room. And then, Kelly, if you're the host and you say, you know, what do you, question one, what do you think about cold calling? I can go over to my screen or a separate screen, depending on how you're set up. I can copy it, paste it in. I already have the A1. I have my response, I put it into tweet chat hit the button, and it goes out as a perfectly formatted tweet. So I'm not scrambling. And what that does, it gives me the ability then to listen and watch and read everyone else's contributions. So I can add to them. I can retweet other people's activities, et cetera.
2: Yeah, that's good stuff. I guess my thought process there was, hey, I, I'm not in it. I'm not giving answers, but I want to. I want to read. I want to participate. I want to hear what everybody says. Is there a way to use Tweet Chat to to identify certain Twitter chats that I would be interested in?
3: Um, possibly. There's a lot of other ways. Actually, just a good Google search, and there's a lot of uh, blog posts and blogs that have uh, services actually that list the top you know, 200 Twitter chats. So just just Google Twitter chats, or maybe um, if you're involved in a specific industry, um, just read some of the posts and some of the uh, websites and go look for those Twitter chats that are coming up. I know I post them uh, pretty frequently on Fill the Funnel. You probably do as well on BizLocker Radio. So just look for them that way.
2: Well, it's interesting because uh, I, I did exactly what you said. I'm standing, sitting rather, in front of my computer, and I actually Googled Twitter chats sales, just because I would be interested in, in those kinds of things. And a whole lot of things come up. List of Twitter chats by day of the week. There's a Twitter chat schedule. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on. So that, that's really
0: interesting.
3: Yeah, let me give you an example. One that's been around for several years. I used to moderate it. I don't do it anymore, or at least not on a regular basis. But it's on a topic that I think a lot of people in sales and business like to learn more about all the time. And that's LinkedIn. So every Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. There is a Twitter chat that you could try starting tomorrow night, every Tuesday night, um, called LinkedIn Chat. So if you type in LinkedIn Chat uh, in Google, or just type it actually into Tweet Chat, and you'll you'll see uh, what's happening with that. But if you want to see what this whole Twitter chat thing is all about, just go sign in or check in. Not to sign in, just just go in and put in the hashtag LinkedIn Chat tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Pacific. 8 p.m. Eastern, and you're going to see And there's a new topic every week, and uh, Viveka Van Rosen is someone I highly respect as the LinkedIn expert. Uh, Steve Cassidy helps host that as well and moderate it, uh, and then they have guests all the time on different topics. I know uh, uh, someone you've had on before, John uh, Ferrara from Nimble, was on a few weeks back and talking about social and social CRMs and how it all interrelates with LinkedIn and everything else. Yeah, that's
2: That's great stuff. Much appreciated. Tweet, chat. It's free, and it's going to open up a whole new Vista for you, especially if you're in the world of sales. That's going to do it. Episode 59, In the Can, Customer Communications 101. Stephen Gaffney was my guest, along with Miles Austin in the X's and O's segment. Thanks for the update on Easy VSL as well. That's going to do it next week. Matt Hines, 65,000 followers. Yeah, Miles jealous. He has about half that. 30-some-odd thousand craziness. Anyway, looking forward to having you back on the show next week. Thanks to Michael Surgit, our, our engineer, Freddie Jackson, our producer. We'll see you next time on Biz Locker Radio.